All right, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. And uh, boy, have I been appalled at the reaction to the Mueller report by all too many voices on what continues to be called the left with lesser reason every day, it seems to me, where we're getting from, you know, figures like Glenn Greenwald, Jimmy Dore, Matt Taibbi, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and everything that you read on Stupid Counterpunch, of course, this attitude of absolute gloating about the Mueller report, a completely monstrously misplaced attitude, which just leaves me utterly flabbergasted. What a dangerous moment in American political culture this is, where Trump has emerged triumphalist from uh, the release of this report and is acting in triumphalist manner, you know, thundering about how we're going to have to investigate the traitors who were, uh, you know, pushing the collusion delusion, quote-unquote, and, and, and fuming about actually closing the border with Mexico, actually started to transfer the Defense Department funds for the construction of his border wall under his state of emergency, so, I mean, this is a larger step, you know, the, maybe the largest step we've seen since the beginning of uh, the Trump presidency towards, you know, the consolidation of a dictatorship, which has clearly been his agenda from the very beginning. And so many of my so-called leftist friends, rather than decrying this, are actually gloating about it and cheering it on and falsely claiming that the Mueller report exonerates Trump and attributing to the Mueller report what are actually the interpretations of the arc reactionary Attorney General William Barr, who was put into office by Trump precisely to protect his ass. I mean, this is what we're getting from voices on the left. All I can say is with friends like these, who needs enemies? All right, and there's, you know, quite a few distortions which are being perpetrated here. Ironically, both by the Republicans and by many on the left, quote unquote, the first is that the report has somehow dismissed the notion of Russian interference, which is absolutely not true. It's the opposite of what's true. The uh, investigation, apparently, from what we know, because, of course, you know, the actual text has not been released, but from the uh, snippets which have been released and the synopsis which was released by Attorney General Barr, uh, we know that the investigation actually did reveal to or purport two methods by which Russia influenced the election. The first was the dissemination of disinformation and the attempts to sow discord through um, social media, particularly through the use of the Russia-based Internet Research Agency. And the second was the Russian government's use of computer hacking to influence the election, including, most notoriously, the uh, email hacks of the Clinton campaign and Democratic Party, which involved the collaboration of entities such as WikiLeaks. These are the findings of the Mueller report, as far as we know. And Mueller did, in fact, let us recall, bring criminal charges against various Russian nationals and military officers related to these efforts. So, isn't it ironic? The Mueller report, which all of these paradoxical pro-Trump leftists are now jumping on as vindication, does find that Russia meddled in the election. The precise findings that these very same people dismissed when they were released by the uh, National Security Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency, 
in uh, their investigation of the charges back in 2016. Remember the chorus of where's the proof in response to the NSA-CIA investigation of Russian meddling in the election back in 2016? Well, now these very same people are jumping on the Mueller report as vindication when, in fact, it arrives at the very same conclusion that, yes, Russia meddled in the election. So basically, they're cherry-picking what they want to believe, anything that absolves Trump and Putin. Zero honesty here and openly pro-fascist politics from people who somehow, I don't know how, see themselves as progressive. More to say about this later. And while the report did not find enough evidence to bring an indictment against Trump, while the report called for no further indictments against Trump or his campaign over uh, collusion with Russia to sway the elections per se, the report does not exonerate Trump. And does not exonerate is a verbatim quote from the statement that was released by Barr about the report. Does not exonerate Trump of obstruction of justice related to the investigation into the collusion with Russia. And it is um, Attorney General William Barr who has himself concluded, not the Mueller report, but Barr has concluded that uh, there is not sufficient evidence of obstruction of justice to bring further indictments. That is not in the Mueller report. So the Mueller report, once again, does not exonerate Trump and found, in fact, that there was Russian interference in the 2016 election. So if you are going to take glee in the Mueller report for not indicting Trump, you had better accept its findings that there was Russian meddling. Now, rather than, you know, taking glee that, you know, the wannabe fascist sitting in the Oval Office has, quote unquote, been exonerated, which he has not, we should be demanding that the report be released to the public in its entirety and unredacted. That is the critical demand to be raising at the moment and find out exactly what it says about the degree and nature of Russian meddling in the 2016 election, and what evidence was examined regarding the question of Trump collusion with that meddling. Now, to my mind, I think that there's already an, if you will, unimpeachable case that, in fact, there was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. It's already been established that Mike Flynn, key figure in the Trump campaign and later the Trump administration's national security advisor, met with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, during the uh, 2016 campaign. What do you think they were talking about? The weather? It's already been established that one of the things that they discussed was the possible dropping of the sanctions against Russia by the Trump administration once he took office. Now, this is at a minimum, even if the conversation went no further than that, at a minimum, that would seem to constitute a kind of a um, an implicit or de facto collusion where, you know, a quid pro quo was being offered, even if the terms weren't being made explicit for the sake of deniability. And in fact, since then, some of the sanctions have been lifted. A lot of them have not been lifted, 
I think probably due to pressure from the State Department on Trump. That is to say, from interference from the so-called deep state, which are, you know, (laughs) which is the propaganda term for, you know, those elements of the bureaucracy which are not going along with Trump's fascist program and attempt to impose a dictatorship in this country, which is exactly what it is. And I am not speaking in hyperbolic terms. I mean that quite narrowly and quite literally. And I am prepared to defend that thesis. And in fact, I think you're absolutely blinding yourself if you don't see it. We also know that Donald Trump Jr., in the midst of the 2016 campaign, met with a Kremlin-connected lawyer and was offered incriminating information on Hillary Clinton. Now, I would like to know, by what legalistic artifice can this not be considered collusion? I mean, to my mind, this is pretty clearly collusion. And, you know, those are just two cases among many. Let's keep in mind that over the course of Mueller's investigation, there have been over 100 indictments, including for lying to Congress about meetings between Trump people and the Russians. So not indictments for, quote unquote, conspiring with Russia, but for covering up conspiring with Russia or for covering up something, at least. And I got that conspiring with Russia verbatim from a tweet by Glenn Greenwald, who wrote, quote, the Mueller investigation is complete, and this is a simple fact that will never go away. Not one single American was charged, indicted, or conviction for conspiring with Russia to influence the 2016 election. Not even a low-level volunteer. The number is zero, which is a completely misleading and disingenuous allegation. Over 100 indictments, and it's only by, you know, the most narrow interpretation that you could say that the indictments were not for conspiring with Russia, but only for, you know, covering up conspiring with Russia or covering up some kind of Trump dirty dealing with Russia, even if we don't know 100 percent that what they were attempting to cover up was uh, collusion in the 2016 election, covering up something, covering up some kind of dirty dealing. Generally, one does not engage in a cover up in obstruction of justice unless you've actually got something to cover up. Hello? And then you've got the, uh, you know, the tarring of anybody who is concerned with the Russian collusion uh, as, you know, engaging in, quote-unquote, Russophobia, red-baiting, and McCarthyism. And this is so deeply, deeply off-base. For starters, the Cold War is over. Russia is not communist. Russia is capitalist to the core. And Putin is much, much closer to being a fascist than to being a communist. Putin is a great Russian chauvinist who is instating a social reactionary program at home, reviving, you know, czarist-era paramilitary outfits like the Cossacks and turning them into mercenaries for the wars that he's waging in Ukraine and Syria. What is this to do with red-baiting or McCarthyism? Absolutely nothing. That is a completely empty accusation. And as for the charge of, you know, Russophobia and just, you know, wanting to scapegoat a foreign power and, uh, you know, not look at the erosions of democracy, which affected the 2016 election, which were not related to Russian meddling. Well, some people may be guilty of that, but not me and not many of us who are concerned about the Russian meddling. There is a 
domestic context, and there is a global context for anything that happens on the world stage, and certainly for the what we saw during the 2016 elections. It's not an either-or, it's a both. There was a domestic context, and there was a global context. And the domestic context had to do, first and foremost, with the coming demographic shift in the United States, where, you know, within a generation, whites are going to be a minority in this country. And, you know, there's a, you know, a deep demographic fear about that inevitable reality, which the Trump campaign was able to quite skillfully tap into and exploit and wed to fears that the middle class and the working class in this country has been, uh, you know, betrayed by corporate globalization, which, in fact, it has. That's for domestic context there. You know, Trump's brand of right-wing populism, which was, you know, very effective. And there was, you know, I'm, it's painful to admit it, but there was a certain amount of political genius involved there. I mean, Trump is, um, on certain levels, just really D-U-M-B dumb. But on other levels, on some kind of, you know, just uh, instinctive gut level, you know, he, he really has got a certain, uh, a certain political genius at work there. Utterly sinister and Machiavellian political genius, but nonetheless a real political genius at work. And, um, you know, I acknowledge that. But there's also a global context. And the global context has to do with the fact that Trump was conniving with Putin on the global stage. And quite evidently, I mean, we know for a fact that his campaign was in touch with Putin's people. I don't know at what point you suddenly decide that it's collusion. We understand that, you know, they have you know, common politics, common objectives. The same right wing populist xenophobic parties in Europe which have been, uh, you know, rallying around Trump and have been given, you know, a, a big political boost by, by his victory, such as Le Pen and the Golden Dawn in Greece and so on. Those exact same parties have been, uh, have been funded under the table by Vladimir Putin. So obviously, you know, there's a common agenda here. I mean, this has been documented. There is a common agenda here. I mean, whatever happened to the slogan, think globally, act locally. I mean, for some people, you know, on the so-called left right now, they are so conditioned by the experience of the Cold War that they are afraid to look squarely at what is happening in Russia at all and the role that Russia is playing on the global stage and the, you know, implicit pact which has come together between the reactionary forces which now rule Russia and our own domestic reactionary forces here in the United States. Now, by way of analogy, let's talk about what happened in Chile in 1973. Now, I am not by any means claiming that this is a perfect analogy in all of its particulars. Certainly, the role that the United States, particularly the CIA, played in the overthrow of Salvador Allende in 1973, and bringing to power General Pinochet, was by no means analogous to the role, you know, that Putin played, which was much more, <laughs> much more slick and subtle, shall we say, in the um, <clears throat> in the, in merely influencing, if not throwing, the 2016 election here in the United States. Okay, so there the analogy doesn't quite hold. But where the analogy does hold, 
and this is the critical point. This is why I'm bringing this up. Where the analogy does hold is this, is that just, you know, in, in what happened to Chile in 1973, once again, there was a domestic context and there was a global context. And the domestic context was that Chile's deeply reactionary traditional oligarchy felt threatened by uh, Salvador Allende and his socialist agenda. That was a strictly domestic context, which was just related to dynamics within Chile. But it interacted with the larger global context, which had to do with U.S. imperialism wanting to maintain its sway over South America and, you know, the Cold War-related fears of a, uh, you know, another socialist toehold in Latin America, particularly in a mineral-rich country resource and particularly mineral-rich country like Chile. Okay, now nobody on the contemporary left would deny the role that the CIA played in Chile in 1973. And nobody on the contemporary left would argue that the domestic context for the Pinochet coup in 1973 somehow negated the international context and somehow made the, um, the CIA backing of the coup irrelevant. Nobody would argue that. So that's where the analogy does hold. Now, obviously, I don't have to belabor the point that, you know, generally the relationship between the United States, which is a, you know, the world's greatest global power and, you know, the South American nation of Chile is extremely divergent from the relationship between the United States and Russia, which are two rival imperial powers. All right. That is obvious. Hopefully I don't have to belabor that point. But in terms of, uh, you know, there being both a domestic and an international or global context for the transfer of power and truly fascistic leader coming to power in both countries with the meddling and connivance of a, of a foreign government, the basic principle is exactly the same. And I will add here that many of, you know, the vilified liberals and Democrats who... Um, are being excoriated now for their supposed obsession with the Russian meddling, they are the very same people who are also concerned with the assault on voting rights in this country, with the Citizens United decision, with the growing influence of the big money lobbies, etc., with, in short, the domestic context for the rise of Trumpism. And too many of, you know, the so-called leftists who are, you know, now rushing to absolve Trump and to absolve Putin only bring up those domestic contexts by way of accusing the liberals of paying insufficient attention to them. (laughs) So, you know, to my mind, it's not the Democrats and the liberals who don't want to look at the domestic context. On the contrary, it's these so-called leftists who don't want to look at the global context. And once again, you know, I'm put here into the, um, into the strange position of having to defend Democrats and liberals, even though I am not one. And I recognize that the Democrats have got plenty to answer for in terms of their own complicity with the rise of Trumpism. Particularly, you know, they're going along with the bipartisan consensus on uh, the so-called neoliberal order or free trade economics over the past uh, generation and change since the Reagan revolution, which really has resulted in a, you know, a downwardly mobile middle class in this country and really has 
resulted in, you know, the export of um, industrial jobs from our shores and helped create the backlash, which could be deftly exploited and linked to racism and xenophobia by Donald Trump. I don't let the, the Democrats off the hook for that whatsoever. But looking to the Democrats who are in opposition, as opposed to the fascists who are now actually in power in this country as the primary enemy, is a grave error. And, you know, it's pretty funny. Traditionally, you know, radicals have accused liberals of timidity. And, uh, in fact, you know, there are some liberals, quote-unquote, who have actually displayed what I consider to be sickening timidity in the face of Trump fascism, such as Nancy Pelosi in her, um, you know, disavowal of impeachment as a goal worth pursuing. There is a really, really good example (laughs) of, um, you know, liberal timidity in the face of fascism. I agree. But, uh, you know, I hear Robert Reich calling for Trump's election to be nullified, even apart from impeachment, which he's also calling for. He's actually calling for the election to be nullified altogether as having been unconstitutional to begin with at the same time that the so-called radicals are absolutely supine or worse, enthusiastically acquiescing in this triumphalist moment for the fascist Trump machine. And particularly at this triumphalist moment for Trump when he's thundering about locking up traitors and about closing the border with Mexico and now feels like, you know, he's got um, carte blanche to move towards establishing his dictatorship in the wake of the Mueller report. This is precisely when we should be taking up the demand for the election to be nullified and we should be or at at a minimum for impeachment proceedings to go ahead and we should be doing what happened in South Korea in 2016 the same year that democracy in the United States was dealt a grave setback by the election of Donald Trump democracy in South Korea took a great advance when for weeks Relentless and massive protests filled the streets of cities across South Korea, finally bringing about the impeachment of President Park Geun-hye, proving that it is possible, proving that there can be a mass mobilization which can actually force the politicians with all of their recalcitrance and all of their timidity and all of their compromise to do the right thing and to remove from power a corrupt and compromised leader. But it took literally millions filling the streets of South Korea every day for weeks. This is what we need to make happen in this country. We need to be filling the streets day after day after day in New York, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, in San Francisco, in Seattle, in Houston, day after day after day, filling the streets in our millions and not under the leadership of the Democratic Party, nor under the leadership of any, uh, you know, of the sectarian left outfits or their front groups, which have come together to try to exploit the situation, such as uh, refuse fascism. And I only mention them not because 
they're the worst in terms of their politics, which they're not, although their politics are pretty bad. <laughs> not the worst of all of the various alphabet soup sectarian left factions there. I only bring them up because they're the ones who have actually raised the call for precisely this to happen which you know, they're actually raising the call for the right thing to happen. They're raising the call for massive demonstrations filling the streets of this country day after day after day to drive out the Trump-Pence regime. Unfortunately, you know, they want it all to happen under their leadership. <laughs> and their leadership happens to be, uh, you know, a, um, a front group for a, uh, you know, a, a sectarian left outfit. I'm not going to go... Um, I'm not going to go any deeper into that at the moment. But a genuinely grassroots, democratic, non-aligned mobilization, which is not going to allow itself to be exploited or harnessed by any political party, but is standing up for anti-fascism and democracy as principles. And I'll just point out, you know, getting back to the Russia tip, that uh, another one of the terrifying things that Trump has done recently is uh, withdrawing from the... uh, Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, which puts us, you know, back on a terrifying trajectory towards nuclear war, quite frankly. And, you know, I've always said from the very beginning that despite Trump's schmooziness with Putin, the two of them could be nose to nose tomorrow. And there's plenty of historical precedent for this kind of thing as well. I believe that there was something back in 1939 called the Hitler-Stalin Pact, as you may recall, and perhaps you, you know, will recall how that ended as well. <laughs> so, uh, believe me, my concern with Russian meddling in the 2016 election and with Trump collusion, and I believe that really a solid case is right there in front of your eyes for Trump collusion with the Russian meddling in the 2016 election is not based on any kind of, you know, Cold War nostalgia or Russophobia or red baiting. And certainly, I reject any attempt to, uh, you know, pose the whole issue in a nationalist frame that we have to rally around the flag against foreign subversion. On the contrary, I think that our demands for nullification of the election, and first and foremost, our demands that the Mueller report be released, unredacted, and in its entirety for review by the American citizenry should be framed in anti-fascist grounds. And standing up to Trump's effort to impose a dictatorship and a fascistic order here in the United States which he is now undertaking in collusion with Putin, who is is already well underway towards establishing a dictatorship and a fascistic order in Russia. And the two of them have made terrifying strides towards imposing a, a fascist world order on the global stage in collusion with their lesser collaborators, such as Erdogan, Assad, Orban, Duterte, etc. And uh, if we don't wake up and put our eye on the ball and try to arrest this trajectory, we are going to be looking at a, a genuinely fascist world order, which is going to make the, you know, a neoliberal new world order that we've all been so paranoid about for the past generation, 
since, uh, you know, Poppy Bush coined the phrase, look like a picnic. So once again, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Rather than, you know, dismissing the notion of Trump collusion with, with Russian meddling in the in the 2016 election, and rather than, you know, gloating about um, the uh, Mueller report, quote-unquote, exonerating Trump, which it did not, and far from joining with the fascist Trump in his triumphalism about being, quote-unquote, exonerated, which he was not, quite to the contrary. We should be joining with um, voices such as the American Civil Liberties Union and Robert Reich, who are demanding that the Mueller report be released in its entirety and unredacted. That is the most critical thing at the moment, rather than, you know, merely jumping on it as vindication that now the liberals have been pawned without having seen the report, without having actually read the actual report. Unbelievably, disgracefully misplaced priorities. We have to be demanding that the report be released first and foremost, and then... Hopefully, we can use what is in the report as political ammunition to demand the impeachment of Donald Trump or possibly even the nullification of his election and to raise a militant, uncompromising, relentless, nonviolent civil resistance movement to bring that about and to fill the streets of this country in our millions day after day after day until Trump is removed from office. This has been the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Be in touch. Let me know what you think. Check out our website at countervortex.org.